This is the I Read Comic Books podcast, the very best comic book podcast for regular comic book fans. I'm your host, Mike Rappin. Joining me this week, two aging jewel thieves back for their one last heist, Kate Scotchless. <laughs> Hello. And Paul Jaisley. Hello, humanoids. The question of the day is, who gets crushed in the Batcave? I don't know. We'll find out. <laughs> we'll find but out. <laughs> before we get into what we're actually going to be talking about later in the episode, which is our Goodreads book of the month, Catwoman Lonely City, I've got a couple of questions that I need to ask Kate and Paul. And one more announcement. We have a listener survey. You may have seen this posted on some of our socials. If you're on Discord or if you're on the internet in general, maybe you're just tuned in and honed in on IRCB and you've seen this already. But if you haven't, there is a link to our annual IRCB listener survey where you can go and fill some things out. And if you give us your name and your email i promise we're not using it for anything like that at least not yet i'll let you know if we do because i'll send you an email uh but if you do that <laughs> you could get entered to win a 25 dollars gift certificate to amazon or midtown comics or donation to a charity of your choice if you want um some folks asked for that last year so we're doing it this year um but we just want to know what you think of the show if you've got thoughts about things that we could improve on and then we've got some extra questions about like a little bit more in-depth questions if you want to but those are totally optional um and if you're a patreon member we've got an entire section about patreon as well so check that out in the show notes i'm not going to say it out loud because you've already gotten so much spam i imagine that ai is like squeezing the life out of every single podcast and trying to steal things so i'm not going to read out where it's at but you can find that in the show notes good, good luck godspeed hopefully we can find your results in all the spam um no I, really i'm going to go through everything don't worry about it but anyways we're here to talk about comic books and i've got two legally mandated questions that i've got to ask and that is how have you been how have comic books been I'm going to kick this over to Paul to start things off. Welcome to 2024, by the way. We're here. We're It's a brand new year. We're starting a clean slate. I'm going to really expand my horizons when it comes to comic books and what I read. So I'm here to talk about uh, you know, an issue of Batman. I'm trying out this Batman <laughs> title I've heard so much about. Uh, oh, okay. You know, I'm jumping on with issue 140 um, or issue 905 for you legacy numbering freaks out there. Mm -hmm. um, and this is a... Part of the current story being written by Chip Zdarsky, art by Jorge Jimenez, uh, colors by Tomeo More, and letters, obviously, by Clayton Cowles, since it's a comic mm. book <laughs> coming out by one of the big two writers, so big two publishers. Yeah. Um, and I, I'll, I, I'll admit, I'll come right out and say it. Apologies to, to Danny up front. Um, I'm not really liking Zdarsky's Batman. It's not bad by any stretch of the imagination. <sighs> it is a comic book that features Batman and often he is punching people in the face and that's always going to be something I enjoy. So that's not a complaint uh -huh. about, you know, the overall comic itself. It's just, I feel like ever since Zdarsky took over, there's been a lot of references or callbacks to uh, Grant Morrison's Batman run, which obviously I'm a huge fan of. Anyone that's listened to the Patreon series, A Better Batmobile knows that that is a Batman run that's near and dear to my heart. So at first I was really... Uh, encouraged by the fact that Darsky was referencing the Batman of Zer and R, which is a huge part of Morrison's Batman, this sort of like backup personality that Bruce Wayne invented in case he ever failed. Batman would have this like backup, you know, version of Batman without Bruce Wayne, you know, and Zdarsky kind of took that concept and has kind of run with it for the past like couple story arcs here. And something about it though, isn't clicking for me. And again, I don't think that's a it's not a huge criticism because I think it is interesting, but it doesn't feel like the same. What I liked about Morrison's run doesn't seem to be reflected here. And I remember when um, I always say Zach instead of Scott, Scott Snyder took over Batman <laughs> from New 52. That's right after Morrison's run. And uh, one of the co-hosts on the uh, much missed um, Wait What podcast made a comparison that if Morrison was writing a prog rock album, the uh, 
Scott Snyder Batman was like the pop punk version of that. And I feel like that's kind of similar here where it's like <laughs> if Morrison was doing a David Lynch film, Zadarsky's doing a Christopher Nolan film. And it's like, all right, it's high concept. There's a lot of action. There's things mm-hmm. I like about it, but something's just not clicking for me. It doesn't seem to be as engaging to me as the Morrison stuff. So, you know, anyway, this issue feels like kind of a culmination of some of the issues I've had with the series, which is why I want to talk about it. Um, you have Batman fighting against Zer NR, this other backup Batman who's come back. And apparently everyone knows about it now. Cause all his, you know, all the Robins and everyone else is like referencing this Zer as they call it. And it almost just feels like another Batman rather than a alternate personality backup, kind of like Ed Morrison wrote it. And the thing is, hmm. Zdarsky also uh, did a whole like uh, multiverse portion of the story. Uh, a couple arcs ago so it's like don't just one batman of zurinar there's a whole multiverse worth of them and in this issue batman is fighting the joker at the same time fighting against versions of himself and again all of that is really interesting like i love the multiverse mm-hmm. i love batman of zurinar i love the sort of concept there's a lot of fan service of seeing batman beat up other versions of batman like what's better than that <laughs> But somehow it's just not... George Clooney just getting his ass kicked by the cart comic book Batman. Yeah. And I think part of it does rub me as sort of fan service as a point. Because there's a moment where you have the Batman that's basically the the Michael Keaton Batman from the, the uh, Tim Burton film. You know, as Zura and R with like the orange, with the red and purple, you know, costume gimmick. And Batman mm-hmm. makes some like joke. Like, as he's beating him up, like, he makes some joke about it. like, at least I can turn my head in my costume and stuff like that. So it's like, it's fun, but it's also... <laughs> Not really like clicking for me in a way. I don't know. Sure. Um, it's like a little too meta for for a comic book, which is ridiculous to say out <laughs> loud that I even spoke those words. Yeah. But it, it, I understand what you're saying, where it's like a little bit too on the head um, when it comes to like just referencing shit about Batman. Yeah. Right. It's kind of I don't know. Maybe I think I've, is that kind of what you're getting at? I think kind of. Yeah. It's like it is high concept in a way. But I think Morris again, I don't think Morrison is a subtle writer at all. But in their run, there was a sense of like there's some deeper things you can dig out. And this is like almost all surface. You know, what I mean, there's not a sort of like deeper sure. analysis. I can run of this stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, overall, I do. Again, it's all stuff I like. So I'm enjoying the series kind of just as a Batman fan, but it's not like clicking for me the way that some recent Batman runs have, you know, even after Morrison. Um, gotcha. The one positive I will say is that Jorge Jimenez is one of my favorite current Batman artists. I think he's fantastic. So the book, the books so far have looked great issue to issue. Cause I think he's a great artist and the way he's able to kind of capture the different artistic styles. I'm always a sucker for that. So when you have the Batman of Zern R that's basically, from Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns, it looks like it was drawn by Frank Miller, like stylistic stuff like that. I always am a sucker for. So yeah, it is kind of frustrating. It's a Batman comic that I think is good. There's a lot of things I like about it, but somehow it's not clicking for me in the way that I was hoping it would. So I'm wondering if the next story arc, because it feels like this issue sets up like a sort of like end piece uh, for what Zdarsky started with the whole like fail safe storyline. It's kind of like okay. tying up some loose ends. So either like he's, Right, he's like you know wrapping this run up, or he's going to shift to another story arc. I don't know. I'm still going to obviously buy Batman comics. I'm not giving. Up. <laughs> right, right. This isn't the finally pushing you off Batman comics, right? right. No. Okay. No. Okay. No. Again, it's it's still good, but it's, yeah, it's not not clicking for me in in some ways. Gotcha. Well, Kate, how about you? How have you been? How have comic books been? I have been good. It has been uh, disturbingly warm here, so enjoying not dying mm-hmm. on icy roads, but also. Mm, a little concerned about the planet. 
otherwise, yeah. though, <laughs> yeah. we did just finally get some snow. Um, mm-hmm. But what I've been reading has been honestly a bunch of books that uh, you and Nick talked about from the last time I was on the show <laughs> because I sat here as you were talking and like put a bunch of books on hold from Melcat, our state's interlibrary loan system. Nice. And so the one that I just finished was Blue Book Volume 1, uh, 1961 by James Tinian and Michael Avon Oming that mm-hmm. Nick talked about. And I'm sorry, Nick, this was not for me. So (laughs) this is the story of Betty and Barney Hill's alleged alien abduction in 1961, which is notable, of course, because it's like the first quote unquote alien abduction um, Mm -hmm. claim. And it's the basics of the story minus the most interesting details, in my opinion. So like Mm. there's been so much analysis of this case for obvious reasons. And the main things that, hypotheses are like the accidental awareness hypothesis of um we now know that uh at the time and it still happens now but to a lesser degree but at the time um people that underwent surgery were often having accidental awareness because they weren't using because of the way they were using anesthesia cocktails at the time they have since modified Mm. them um but they were waking up completely paralyzed and hazy with you know beings hovering over them that you could only see their eyes and you know all this stuff and that's that's a key theory for you know all these um when people went under hypnosis and then had memories of being on a table like this and oh i was abducted um that was Mm -hmm. and you know experimented on that's one of the key uh theories for that and um and then the whole interracial marriage anxiety hypothesis is a big one Mm -hmm about how this was an interracial couple in the 60s in a liberal area, but even liberal areas weren't exactly that liberal about it uh, back then. And Mm -hmm. they also left out a lot of the relevant info as a way of making the story sound more plausible. So like they talk about the star chart (laughs) that Betty drew and how um, Dr. Fish then was like, oh, verified it, that this it matches up with these stars. But they leave out that Fish herself later rejected her own hypothesis about the star chart when she we got improved star data available in the early 90s that showed it was mm. completely wrong. Like, we just got better measurements because of a European satellite that went out. And they were like, gotcha. yep, this is bunk. <laughs> and then, and, like... And Dr. Fish is, like, is... Could you... Just to explain who, who the character is, just... I. I don't remember this at all. So I'm this totally is, blanking on this story. Fish was like the one of the scientists who, in reviewing um, Betty's story and looking at the star chart that she draws from memory, quote unquote, that she oh. like lines it up and it's like, these are the stars it matches. And there's like no chance that this is fake because it's like a one in a million odds that she'd be able to draw this. You know, and then at the time, hmm. it's debunked by Carl Sagan in the 80s on like um, on Cosmos and stuff. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. Fish was the vocal scientist being like, no, no, this is real. And it matches up with planets that could be habitable and they start and the distances are right and stuff like that. And then hmm. more data comes out, uh, better data comes out decades later. And she's like, <laughs> never mind. <laughs> that was totally wrong. <laughs> Which like kudos Kudos to her for like some some scientists really dig in instead of uh, admitting they were wrong or whatever, but she sure. retracted it. And 
They also leave out the similarity to the aliens they draw. So that one of the other notable firsts of this case is that it's the first time we get like what we now think of those the quintessential like gray alien look. You know, the big mm-hmm. eye, big head with big eyes and little dot nose and tiny mouth. Yes. And the important but there is the outer limits uh show aired for the first time an episode for the first time 12 days before the hypnosis session where they drew that with an alien that looks just like that (laughs) you're like hang on (laughs) and then they also kind of touch on but just barely and don't go into the detail of why she was betty was not considered credible by the ufo community itself like Mm -hmm. later in life she goes full nutter and like when you read more about that it's like Oh wow. Okay. These these people were not credible for many reasons. There's many, many really good explanations for what they went through. And it's been like, yeah. So it's interesting in the sense that I like I like X Files. I like reading these things. I've watched mm-hmm. 10 million UFO documentaries and I'm not proud. Um, I find it fun. <laughs> but it, <Yeah. laughs> that also means that I've been seen so many tellings of this exact sto- this, you know, Betty and Barney Hill story. And it felt like it didn't really have anything to say about it. Like it's, Mm. they just kind of go through the basics of the fact they're not saying anything, having a particular take on it and really not having much less anything new. You know what I mean? So that, that was where I was kind of like, yeah, it was, it was fine. I'm, you know, had fun reading it, but I'm not gonna be passing it out as like a, here, you should check out this book um, to other. Right. Okay alien nerds if you're not familiar with the story it is a fun case that you should read about uh and mm-hmm. if you do that via comics that's great uh there's also many other versions that you can go into um but yeah that that's that was the big thing for me i do really like the art in it they did a great job with that and tinian's writing is always great yeah <laughs> yeah it's it's interesting because i i kind of got that same feeling from the the first i think i read the first two issues like as someone who had, I listened, had just recently listened to a podcast all about this, so I was like, "Oh, let's mm-hmm. see what Tinian and Oving or Oming has to say about this." And like, it was, it was kind of, I, I understand that like flatness. It kind of just fe- tells like yeah. feels like a retelling of the story. Um, it would have been interesting to see like a narrative insertion almost to say like adding like little bit little bits and pieces of commentary but like it does just kind of feel like a retelling of the story like without anything extra to it so i i totally see what you're saying well and i think part of that feeling pretty flat is that they do this in five issues so they don't go into much depth um right which you when you have entire books on a case, entire like two hour long podcast episodes and full length documentaries, it means you're inherently yeah. just going to get a lot yeah. less. Um, but it, yeah, I think if you're not familiar with it already, this might be a much better read than than what yeah, I for... uh, experienced. But otherwise, <laughs> right? Yeah. How about Fair you, enough. Mike? Uh, well, for me, um, I've been all right. I have been. Uh, you know, trying to reassess myself in general in terms of like my comic reading habits in general. So as I said, famously, before we took our little bit of break where uh, Paul and, and Kate and Zach had some fun little up minisodes, um, I'm not going to be really buying any new comics this year for the most part. Um, going, like Mike? on Wednesday. On How Wednesday, I did go this in, year. <laughs> on Wednesday, I did go buy new comics. Kate, let me fucking get this there isn't. first. Um, but <laughs> for the listeners, this is January sixth. It's been six days. Yeah. Uh, well, so here's the thing. Like, I I plan on keeping up with some of the ongoing books, and like, I did try new number one. I do want to talk about it in a second. Um, but I 
am trying to just be a little bit more just like focused in my comic buying habits, right? Like last year, I bought a lot of comics for the sake of buying them. Um, and now, like, I have just bookshelves full of stuff. Like, I'm not buying any new physical comics that I haven't already pre-ordered at my comic shop um, until I basically get through everything, right? I'm trying to be really just, like, intentional with everything that I'm doing this year. I'm trying to cut back a little bit on spending. I did some quick maths using a budgeting app um, at the end of this year. And the number of the amount of money I spent on comics and comic related things would put people on the floor uh, in, in need of medical attention. Um, it's it's <laughs> surprising. Um, myself included, I fell out of my chair uh, after I saw it. So I was like, OK, maybe this year we can be a little bit less a little less extra about comic books so that being mm -hmm. said i'm digging through a lot of my comic um i hope everyone on the show and off the show if you're listening to the show keeps me honest about my bullshit but yeah i did read a comic book that i've been sitting on for a little while that i got from a kickstarter this is a frog in the fall uh by liana sturt you may have heard me talk about this artist slash writer she's an all-in-one creator before she did another book called stages of rot um and that was a book about like a mythical fantasy world where this flying whale falls to the ground it's like a whale fall in the ocean it kind of changes the ecology but what about this fantasy world when that happens it's very cool um but a frog in the fall is a much a very different book it's it's a it's got the chillest vibes i've ever had in a comic book um that i can think of it's about a little frog who just wants to go on a, a quick little you know just like leisurely adventure with two vagabonds who are traveling across the countryside to try to get to the quote-unquote tropical area there's a tropical island and i'm putting in heavy quotes here and they're just trying to go south to, to avoid the winter um and this little frog's like well I'll, I'll travel with you guys for a couple of days and they're like cool dude just you know make sure you can feed yourself uh, we'll work we'll work on that together um and they go on this little just very nice trip like they're just little frog sized dudes wearing like these old japanese like ito style clothing and they're clearly traveling through parts of japan they come across like the living spirit of a plum tree they come across a dog who's guarding a a, a garden and they steal a giant melon and it's this food that they can eat for like four days straight uh they get to a beach town where it's all run by cats um but they do encounter like human things they encounter a car that's driving over a road that they have to run across and it's it's super cute it's it's probably one of the like chillest books that i've read in a long time that is also funny and entertaining and i mean sturt's art is unbelievably beautiful like i can't express how much i just want to rip all the pages out of this book and just put it on my wall because they're so fantastic um <laughs> and i feel like i say that about a lot of books but i think if you saw this book in person you would understand that there are just pages in this book that don't need to be in the comic they're just beautiful renditions of art from a unique angle and perspective and Sturt's art is just fantastic apparently she did the whole book using this very old pen um like i think it was a calligraphy pen or something like that that she was gifted by her grandfather who passed away recently um or at least before the the book started um and it's it's so interesting to see how that type of art style in general like just using inks for everything can really change like pages and the way that dialogue is done because even the dialogue is all handwritten um i think for the most part so um yeah it's, it's a really cool book and the, the one thing i'll say is this book is in widescreen like and i say that because the entire book is it's as wide as that panel syndicate book that private eye book that brian k vaughn <laughs> did or whatever um but it doesn't have a backing cover 
So like the front page and the last page are like thicker cardboard, but you open it up and you're supposed to be able to open it up all the way flat. So there is no like spine to it. So when you open it up, it's like this giant full length page that's maybe a a foot and a half wide when you fully open it up. So it's, it's really cool the way that she plays with perspective on the page where a character on the far left of the page will talk to a character on the far right. And then there will be these bubbles that are kind of in the middle of the two pages. It's, it's so wonderfully done. Um, It's such a unique way to take that specific page layout. And rather than just having panels, like every single page is just like a chunk of the story. There are very few panels in this book, um, which means (laughs) that it's really thick and it's, it's, very quick to read at the same time. So if you can get your hands on this book, unfortunately, the, the publishing studio that made this book, PEOW, is out of business now. They're just, they closed, closed up shop. And so getting a physical copy of this book is very hard. However, there are digital copies still available. And there are some um, comic shops that you can find online that are selling this book for average for the market price. So um, if you're interested in getting a very unique, very cool looking book, um, highly recommend A Frog in the Fall. It's It's so... I don't know. It's so pleasant. That's the only way I can describe it. It's just just a beautiful book. Um, Sturt, I, I think in her previous work, did uh, a lot of work trying to just try to just show cool nature shit. And that is exactly mm-hmm. what this book is, right? Like uh, uh, Stages of Rot was just her like, I want to draw some cool flowers. So this next two pages are just cool flowers. And that's literally what happens in this book. It's like sometimes oh, I just want to draw this tree hanging and has snow on it just because. And there's maybe mm-hmm. not really relevant to the story. It's just kind of there. Um, and it's beautiful. She clearly has like a love for drawing real life things like the frogs are really cool looking throughout the book the cats are really nice and all that um but like when she focuses on different pieces of nature it's like this took you days and it's just a page in this book like i i'm so in love with it it's it's fantastic Hmm. so that's what i've been up to uh uh, but paul why don't you tell us about one more book uh before uh i jump into one more as well well, I have to issue another apology to Danny personally, uh, since this book technically isn't a comic. Um, it's a collection of essays, but it's comic book adjacent, and I'm really enjoying it. I want to talk about it on the show. So Okay. All right. Um, well, Danny, I know we know you hate pro- prose, but this has to happen. I'm letting Paul do this. I'm sorry. Thank you. I'm granted immunity for the, the uh, next few minutes here. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I got this for Christmas, and I've been, I've been reading through it, and it's really great. It's called I Am the Law, How Judge Dredd Predicted Our Future. It's by Michael Mulker, who used to work for 2000 AD. I think he was a publicist or uh, editor at some in some capacity there for a while. And again, it's uh, technically not a comic. It's a collection of essays that Mulker has written about the history of Judge Dredd, but using that as a way to talk about the very real uh, issues and problems with modern policing. So it's oh. it's an interesting approach to the material because it's um, it's the idea that Dredd Judge Dredd is a character and Judge Dredd is a comic strip has never really been about science fiction or a speculative future. Um, it's always reflected the times in which it was written. So it right. the character came uh, was first introduced during the the beginning of the Margaret Thatcher era in in England, um, and there was a big change in the way people were policed and the way that the government used. Um, the police force in Britain at that time. So over the years, and the book is kind of organized roughly chronologically, the way that Dread has changed over time or the different stories that he highlights uh, reflect different issues about policing as policing has changed since the 1970s and even prior to that. So I think it's a way to engage with really heavy, uh, serious topics like you know, um, stop and seizure or what's uh, what do you call it? Stop and search, stop and you know, first. issues like that. Stop and frisk, yes. Uh, yeah. th- like that. Um, issues of surveillance, issues of, you know, race when it comes to policing. All of them 
Molker is able to find an analogous Judge Dredd story. And it's kind of chilling because Dredd has always been the sort of like darkly humor satire of modern policing, but it's almost too real. You know, it's like Judge Dredd is it's sometimes not as extreme as real world policies are right. in some regards. Another thing I really appreciate about the book is that Molker is primarily writing about the history of British policing. Obviously, he references very famous American cases. He references the Eric, killing of Eric Garner and mm-hmm. uh, you know Michael Brown. There's uh, issues of police brutality in the United States, but most of it is about the history of the use of the police force in England specifically. So it's kind of like an all a weird alternate history. You know, it's very similar to America, but it's slightly different. And he highlights right. a lot of, uh, you know, riots and a lot of police brutality cases that I'd never heard of. And so I think it's a really engaging book in that regard. And, you know, it seems on one hand, kind of like silly to reduce very serious real world topics to just like, you know, this satirical comic. But I think Molker does a really good case of showing how important uh, satire and the type of critiquing that Dredd is able to do that John Wagner and Alan Grant were able to do in the 70s and 80s to highlight these issues. So even if you're a reader as a kid who's not aware of these things, you're reading Judge Dredd, you might start to notice those issues in your real life, you know, as you get older. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what makes the book so compelling. So I'm reading through it. I'm really engaged. I obviously love Judge Dredd. He's referencing a lot of stories that I've read. And it makes a makes a heavy topic almost more palpable, you know, uh, in a way, because like just reading reports about police brutality is pretty tough. But if you can right. kind of like balance it out by some of the more humorous dread stories, but still show why that's important and how satire mm-hmm. can be uh, in a reflection of society. It's really fascinating. And the other um, benefit is that you don't really have to know anything about Judge Dredd because the first chapter basically gives you history of the character and a history of 2008 as a comic. So you can jump mm-hmm. right in and uh, you can just, you know, start your own Judge Dredd reading list. You know, you can start digging in and finding the stories that Molka references. So right. again, right. Technically not a comic, but comic adjacent and a book that I'm really enjoying. And I definitely highly recommend if you want to, you know, read something that can be a little heavy and disturbing at times, but is a really well written and really fascinating and a great introduction to Dread uh, as well. It's, you know, I am the law, how Judge Dread predicted our future. So highly nice. recommend it. Nice. Yeah, this this sounds fascinating. I think I think every once in a while um, and I maybe maybe more often than once in a while, um, we probably need books like this that remind us of like the importance of satire and how satire is used uh, because i think like a lot of the times people don't people don't really understand how satire works right, mm-hmm. right. Uh, they're yeah. like no 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 it's 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 i get to say this bad thing because it's satire it's like but i don't actually hold on i don't think you know what this is um so it's, it's good to see, see that all someone... the punisher bumper stickers <laughs> right yeah. Well, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. um yeah, so it's it's interesting to see someone like uh, Michael Mulker writing a book like this to explain the importance of a character like Dread in the way that satire is used in order to tell us, like, to comment on things that are happening in the real world. So um, yeah. you've sold me, Paul. Yeah. I'm going to read a book this year. Um, <laughs> a real book. A quote unquote real, real book. Yeah. Real prose book. Um <laughs> Well, let me talk about one more book really quick before we get into the top of our pile. Um, I read Pine and Merrimack, number one. This is by Kyle Starks and Fran Galan. The story is Linnea Kent is a woman who's seen the worst in the world. Her sister was kidnapped and killed when she was a child, and she's 
set her life, Linnea has set her life solving problems for other people as a private detective, mostly unloyal spouses and the occasional strange occurrence. Her husband is the strongest guy around, a former boxer turned absolute sweetheart. He and, Alina, he and Linnea are deeply in love and it's extremely corny. One day when a young girl who looks similar to Linnea's sister is kidnapped, Linnea puts aside her aversion to darker investigations and decides this is her case to solve. There's a bit about Linnea trying to be a homicide police detective and it didn't work out. She just couldn't like... She couldn't put her history past some of the harsh things she was seeing. But this book is a, it's a great mix of corny, funny and action packed panels. Like if you've ever read Kyle Starks, you kind of know he's always bringing a bit of comedy to whatever he's writing. This book seems to be a really good mix of like action and really corny scenes between two people who are really in love to the point where I was like, is this a bit? And it's like, no, these that's how he's writing these people. <laughs> and it's kind of cute. Um, and there's some good action as well. Um, and I think most of that action and a lot of the comedic time I mean, um, is not due to the writing, but to Fran Galan's art. Um, this book is a, if you look this artist up, you'll see that they do incredible like painted pages. And I don't know if this is digital or, or like actual like painted art, but man, oh man, like every single page is like jam packed with color and richness. And like all of the panels are perfectly placed in order to time things out with the lettering. Mm -hmm. um it's a really really fun book to just look at like it's a really beautiful book and then it's also funny and it's got a lot of fun action um the color work on this book is impeccable i didn't i don't know if there was a colorist on this book i didn't see i couldn't find the, the information why isn't there a, a uni universal database out there like comic book db mm -hmm. but <clears throat> anyways this book is really great um i i think if you're looking for a fun little um action detective story this is really fun um i'm really excited to see what starks does with this book this is one of those books where i said all right i'm intentionally spending my time trying to find a book that i think i'm going to enjoy and i'm making harsh decisions on if i don't like number one i'm not gonna just try number two if you haven't sold me <laughs> i'm fucking out that's so this book sold me i'm gonna try number two and again if number two doesn't work i'm fucking out that's that's my new <laughs> like spiel this year is if it that didn't work i'm out i'm done mm -hmm. um i'll put that on a t-shirt for episode 400 but uh <laughs> anyways let's talk about comics on the top of our pile um these are new comics old comics if you've had if you've been here before you know what we're all about if not we're talking about comics baby um, but before we get into that, uh, I want to shout out some of the folks hanging out with us on Discord. Uh, they're reading some books, and this is on the top of their pile. Danny's reading Rebel Moon, Houses of Blood Axe, number one. Who reads movie tie-ins these days? I don't know. Uh, Hugh is reading Rise of, pa Rise of the Powers of X, number one. Uh, and Paul G is, where he is finally reading Where the Body Was. Um, that's a fantastic book, Paul. I can't wait for you, you to love it um but i guess kate let me pitch things back over to you what is on the top of your pile this week the top of my pile is a book big enough to kill a cat or small dog uh the planetary oh. omnibus hardcover oh, which God. i well. <laughs> just grabbed from my library this is by warren ellis and john cassidy um i don't know why publishers make books this size this is like there's a very good chance i'm gonna give up and just get it from hoopla or something if i can find a digital copy of volume one because it is like uh -huh. almost unreadably huge <laughs> but on that end i am feeling very sci-fi because i recently um discovered and by discovered i mean it's been on my list for many years because of xander the expanse and mm. have gone gone so hard and deep on this over Christmas break and just want more sci-fi in my life. And I'm not positive how sci-fi planetary is, 
but it involves mm-hmm. space and my library's collection is not that big. So <laughs> Okay. Okay. <laughs> so the basics of this are there's three people that are tracking down evidence of superhuman activity on in the late 20th century. Um they're archaeologists of a sort and um, uncovering unknown paranormal secrets and histories, such as a World War II supercomputer that can access other universes, a ghostly spirit of vengeance in a lost island of dying monsters. Um, sounds like it might be more cape flavor than sci-fi flavor, but again, my I have like two or three shelves of comics for adult comics mm-hmm. at my library. Uh, yay, rural living. Mm. So, I th- <laughs> you know... They spent a lot of money on this omnibus, I'm sure. So we'll check it out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was going to say, if I, I feel like this book definitely leads more pulp comics than it does sci-fi. Okay. That okay. being said, I will. I think there's a lot of really cool like sci-fi shit in this book, having read it. I read it a couple of years ago. And yeah, it's it's got some really cool bits in it, I think. I, I like the way that all of the characters get developed, the mystery box that is as a character um, gets unfolded in a, in a really interesting way. And I think by the end, I, I felt pretty satisfied with the end of it. Um, there is also a crossover that which might be included in this omnibus with the Justice League, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Um, okay. So I, I'd be curious to see what you what you think about it, Kate, because I, I, I do think like, go ahead. Didn't Warren Ellis write Trees? Yes. Okay. So I really like Trees. I hope... Yes. I hope that this is written as well, because that had a cool mystery yeah. to it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the one little asterisk that I will just put on this this book as far as recommendations go is like Warren Ellis, not so yep. great of a guy. Um, so yep. just for anyone out there, d- look up Warren Ellis allegations. That's all I'll say. Um, that being Oof. said, though, this book is uh, is is a pretty interesting story. Um, I do like the. Like I said, the development of the characters is very cool in a way that like feels like classic hard sci-fi, um, but it's all about comic book characters in a way. Like I think there's some afterwards and some other things I've read about the book where there are references to things that are like deep in pulp comic book and story or pulp literature like history, but it's not necessary to know to enjoy this book. So um curious to hear what you think at the end okay because it's a it's a big old book as you said it's it's literally yeah. <laughs> like a beefy beast so did you read the whole series i read i think i read everything but the the crossover that they did so okay um but it's it's a fast read too i mean like it's it's dense but i think it's a pretty fast read it's okay. like four or five volumes total well let me let me talk about a book that odds on the top of my pile as I'm going through my giant bookshelf that that book that I read by Linnea Sturt um, came from a Kickstarter this next book also came from a Kickstarter this is Ruination Volume 1 written by Ryan Biss art by Sarah Fletcher Elizabeth McKenzie and J- Julia Lally uh, colors by Katie Brown letters by Matthias Zanetti this the simple pitch of this book soldiers embark on an adventure filled with magic crystals secret wars and portals to strange post-apocalyptic worlds I mean come on doesn't that have everything that everyone wants in a comic book uh <laughs> <laughs> there there was a bigger better pitch i think for the entire like first issue that got me hooked because i backed the first few issues and now i'm looking at my my digital folder of things i backed all six issues on kickstarter um digitally but i figured i'd get the physical edition of this book because i did really like the first two issues um that i read I'm, i have a terrible habit of backing things on kickstarter and then completely forgetting to read them um but i just want to support indie comics okay uh but anyways the book was a little complicated in terms that it has a lot of lore and i feel like reading a single issue every three or four or five months um 
is kind of hard when you've got like a big lore. So I was excited to get the collection of this so that I can sit down and actually give it its due time to read through, absorb everything and be fully invested in the universe. Um, so I'm very excited to sit down with that. I got the nice hardcover edition of this um, or late last year. And so um, I'm excited sitting on my bookshelf just over to my right here. But uh, it should be fun. High fantasy magic shit that I really like. So um, I'm hyped to actually sit down and, and dig into this. Paul, this is totally up your alley, right? Oh, yeah. Sounds like the kind of things I like all the time. <laughs> Space, magic, crystals. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Well, tell us about what's on the top of your pile before we go into our break. <laughs> well, it's funny. Speaking of something that I really kind of like is way out of my wheelhouse that I don't know much about, uh, the mm -hmm. book I'm excited about is Deep Cuts number four, which is about jazz. And I'm too dumb to get jazz, but I really <laughs> like this book a lot. Um, um this is number four of a six-issue miniseries that Image is publishing. It's written by Joe Clark and Kyle Higgins. This issue has art by Ramon K. Perez. And it's funny, I thought I had missed a few issues of this because uh, the last issue, issue number three, came out back in July. So I thought, oh, oh wow. I missed it. I'll just have to grab the, the collection. But I saw it was on the, the list coming up uh, this, this week uh, in the shop. So I was like, oh, maybe it just got delayed for whatever reason. So, But it's a really interesting series. Uh, each issue is kind of like a standalone story that takes place in a different era of jazz history. And, uh, you know, Joe Clark and Kyle Higgins do a lot of research and kind of recreate uh, the style of jazz is being played at a certain time. So the first issue is set in 1917. You get the sort of like um, ragtime jazz era stuff. Then it, it'll go on to the 1930s and 40s. And this issue is set in the 1950s in New York and the start of um, bebop and hard bop jazz, which, again, I took a jazz history class in college, so I know the terms. But as far as listening to it, it's so not my thing. Uh, mm. But I think what's great is that each issue isn't really about the music itself. I mean, it's a celebration of jazz as an art form, but there's a very um, unique emotional story to each issue and they're all standalone different stories. So it's like a collection. It's like an anthology kind of, and this issue is about, um, you know, an ex-con who gets out of prison, a former band leader, and he's trying to get his band back together and his life to back together at the same time in 1950s, New York. Um, so it's, you know, it's an engaging emotional story as well as being a reflection of, you know, a certain era of American musical history. Hmm. Um, so even if you're not into jazz like me, there's still something in the story that'll really grab your attention. And what I like is that attention to detail that Clark and Higgins bring to each story. So you really get a sense of that, even if, you know, again, it's a silent comic, you can't hear the music, but the imagery, you know, the style of the pages, the artwork, it all kind of like makes you sort of feel what that era is like. And you kind of get a sense of like what the music meant to people at that, at that time in history. And then each issue they hire a jazz musician to write like a little like musical piece so there's like a one page in the back of the issue that is musical notation you no know that's way. written to fit the comic and it's like but i kind of wish i learned how to read music so i know what that yeah. is it looks cool but uh, i imagine right. at some point someone's gonna have to do like a, a playlist or something or maybe someone will play those pieces to kind of yeah. see what they, they sound like but it's a very yeah, interesting series uh this yeah, deep cuts this is the fourth issue out of six so if you're not picking it up or you missed a few definitely worth checking out in trade when it eventually comes out because it's really fun nice well, 2024, Paul, now it's time to start learning an <laughs> instrument and you could learn that's that right. music and you could be the person that puts the video up on the IRCB channel. That's like, hey, Kyle Higgins and, and Ramon K. Perez and Joe <laughs> Clark, look what I did. And they'll go, yeah, nice try, bud. 
<laughs> How does it sound on kazoo? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love it. I figured you'd pick up clarinet or something like that. But um, let's talk about that in the break. We're going to take a quick break here. When we come back, we're going to be talking about our Goodreads Book of the Month as picked by the wonderful people over on Goodreads who finished our 2023 reading challenge, Catwoman, Lonely City. We'll be back in just a second. For our show this week, as I said, we are talking about the Goodreads Book of the Month. We used to do Goodreads Book of the Month episodes every month, and we started to scale it back. And now we're, we're bringing it back once a year just for the Goodreads Reading Challenge finishers of the previous year. So every January, we're going to be talking about books. Listen to this podcast for decades, please. Um, but folks that finished our Goodreads Challenge last year uh, voted and had a conversation on Goodreads to figure out a book that we should read and talk about on the show. And they picked Catwoman, Lonely City. This is by Cliff Chang uh, from DC Comics, The Black Label book so it's that extra wide format it looks really really nice as a hardcover um in my opinion it's very annoying as single issues but that's just me totally not what we're here to talk about uh, <laughs> we're here to talk about the book um so i guess paul kate do either of you have like a, a quick summary of this book otherwise i can i can read the the official one but i don't know if either of you had a quick summary off the top of your head so this is uh, an example of what dc likes to do sometimes where so we have an alternate future for characters it's set in the future 10 years after uh, Batman has died fighting against the Joker in uh, something called Fool's Night that they talk about. And we get to see Selina Kyle, Catwoman, who is wrongly arrested uh, under the assumption that she'd killed Batman, uh, out from prison and attempting to recover something from the Batcave, pulling one last heist. And along the way, she has to put a team together and fight against basically the new mayor of Gotham City, one Harvey Dent, uh, mm. who has taken Batman's legacy and iconography and used to create a police state in Gotham. And that's uh, basically like a short version of the story. So we get to, oh, over the course of four issues, we get to see what Selina Kyle is like looking for, what happened to Batman that night when he passed away, and what Batman's legacy is in Gotham City uh, mm -hmm. to these characters. So it's a f fun alternate future for the uh, Gotham City uh batman related characters yeah yeah and i think from here on out we're gonna just throw out the big spoiler warning we're gonna be <laughs> Oops, talking yeah. about this whole book i mean no I, you know paul i don't think you really spoiled anything uh okay. at all so like but just throwing it out there we're gonna be talking about who lives who dies who lives on to see the future of gotham mm -hmm. um because boy oh boy does it get go all over the place characters die that i never would have thought would have happened and characters live who i thought never would happen so um <laughs> I don't know this this book to me first thing uh Brian in the chat said this um who's he's also proof proof listening here but Brian said one last heist is like a trigger phase to me like I'm in I don't care what else is happening I felt the same way as soon as this book said Selena's out of jail and she's got to do one last I'm like hell yeah I mean this is what sold me on the rogues <laughs> book that came out like all the old mm. flash villains get together to do one last heist like you got me I don't even care what this book is like I'm gonna read this freaking thing so um I was hooked immediately like like one Cliff Chang's art is absolutely beautiful, just mm -hmm. so fun and vibrant from the get go. Um, and then it turns out that he wanted to just flex on us this entire book, right? Where he said, <laughs> I'm going to show everybody in the coolest outfits. And it's not even like everyone's going to look hot, right? There's this thing i think with some artists where they show up to a book and you go oh my god everyone's beautiful i i, I fe i'm feeling things about images on a page that i never thought i'd feel in my body before <laughs> cliff chang killer uh, croc I, has awakened <laughs> something in me <laughs> yeah, yeah, listen, hey, i was getting there let me build okay uh no uh cliff chang instead goes 
Cliff Chang says, I love all of these characters and I want them to look cool as hell from start to finish. Everybody's going to look dope, whether you're the super villain or you're the good guy or whatever in this book. You're going to look cool and you're going to look dope and you're going to look comfy. Um, I, Selena's look throughout this whole book was just like comfortable and athletic at the same time, but not athleisure, right? Like she was she was in mm -hmm. full tights, but then she'd wear this big ass sweatshirt. And I'm like, that is the coolest look that I wish that I could pull off. Right. Um, mm -hmm. And everybody in this book pulls it off. I, I just love that. That's like one of the big things for me in this book. I don't know if you guys noticed that throughout, but like the black, like all the custom logos that people were wearing mm -hmm. and yep. stuff for the various superheroes so so cool like the black the shirt that gets me every time is the black adam shirt that we see on um <laughs> um what's her name's ne nephew who ends up working with selena he's just it says like black mm -hmm. across the top and adam upside down i'm like that's simple and i love it <laughs> i love the way that that looks why is dc not just hiring cliff chang to make merch for them this is for brilliant real. yeah 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 i mean i put that in my notes here does is there any like contemporary superhero artist that does fashion and style better than Cliff Chang. Like it's like every artist right. that's drawing should like take a semester and just take a, a class in fashion drawing. And like that's what we come right. up with. Cause everyone like looks great and everyone has their own unique style. Not everyone looks the mm -hmm. same. Like they wear different clothes, mm -hmm. they're different body shapes, and their clothes actually fit their body shapes. Nothing's like skin tight unless, you know, mm -hmm. unless it's Catwoman suit and stuff. So the way right. that he's able to draw clothes and do that, yeah, it's definitely something I noticed when I was reading this series. Yeah. I think it's like between like other than Cliff Chang, the only other artists that I think do this and do this to a point where I notice it is like Jamie McKelvey and uh, right. Chris Anka. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, both yeah. of those artists, especially Anka, who was like during their runaway work that they did with uh, Rainbow Rowell, like would have pages in the back. They're just like, yeah, these are the outfits that I wanted you. Like, this is my artboard that I drew for myself to know what these characters look like in their clothes in different ways. And this is what I did for this issue. Here's what I did for this issue. Like every single issue was a new set of outfits that he was focusing on for those characters. And I have to imagine Chang did the exact same thing in this book, right? Where like each issue, everyone's in their own different things, especially when they're changing outfits throughout the book. Like at one point, Selena has to like wear a costume, um, like as a costume person, not as like Catwoman. Um, and mm -hmm. like her look totally drastically changes as she has to run out of this bar. And I'm like, that is attention to detail that like you could have just had her take off a wig. And instead, it's like her whole demeanor changes when she walks outside. Like those little details sell this book in a way that like puts it above the others in like other really, really good Batman offshoot books um, that mm -hmm. this is going to stand the test of time, I think, because of these little attentions to detail. Um, I just I can't stop gushing about this art. Someone please take this away from me. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't know, Kate. Did you have any other thoughts about about the art? Before I guess before we completely move on, I want to make sure you get your two cents in here too. I mean, it's beautiful, and it reminded me why I really need to finish Paper Girls because that's one of those series that I read the <laughs> yeah. first like two volumes of, and then mm -hmm. would have re needed to reread it by the time the next volume came out, and then never got around mm -hmm. to that. And yeah, it it just really consistently one of the top artists in comics right now. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I'd be, absolutely. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the coloring because I think that's what works in so much of Chang's work oh. is, yeah. is the way that the colors are used, complementary colors, colors that clash. He understands color theory in this amazing way. And like there are flashback sequences that are colored differently. And it's just it's just so beautiful. It's one of those comics that I have to slow down when, when I'm reading it just to kind of absorb every panel and every detail, mm -hmm. uh, which makes, you know, that's a sign of a good comic when you just want to get every little last drop of it, you know, while mm -hmm. you're reading it. 
Yeah, and it's it really does that thing that I think are unique to Chang's books where there's like a hyper neon or I don't even want to say neon because mm -hmm. the book isn't neon, right? Paper Girls is more of a neon book. But this yeah. has like such a hyper range of comic or, or colors as the like from page to page, from chapter to chapter, scene to scene that are like the color is used to draw your attention to things, right? Some artists do like very clever like panel inserts or they'll do like other clever things to circle you through the page, right? Like there's that there's the page that uh, Elsa Chartier did on, on her YouTube channel a while back where she talks about the way that that uh, David Aha guides your eye through action to get you from mm -hmm. one point of the page to the other. And Chang definitely does that. But I think like he highlights things in color in a way that like almost it's like when you stare at a light for too long or you get like a flash of a shape it like sticks with your in your mind for a second and really carries yeah. you through whatever he's trying to tell you with just the art um and this book does that fantastically i think he's done it in other books but i i really love that it how it's done with all the superhero symbolism um throughout <laughs> this book it's it's really really cool um yeah but yeah, I, I, let's let's move on. We can talk about the art, I guess, more. But I, I, I really <laughs> want to talk about other pieces of this book. Um, what yeah. was like your favorite moment of this book? I mean, we, we, we know that there's a big heist and we lose people and all these other things happen. What was your favorite moment in this book as you were reading it? Kate, did, did you have a favorite moment? Oh, my God. All of the stuff with her meeting up originally <laughs> with Killer Croc and then him being like, hey, by the way, do you have a play like a couch I could crash on? And like the whole training <laughs> yes, montages yeah. of them getting back in shape and him being yeah, like, yeah, I yeah. want bacon. And she's like, you got to be fighting weight. <laughs> oh, my God. I never thought I'd have feelings for Killer Croc, like feel sad or happy about him. Oh, my yeah. God. The whole agent villains angle is just so good and we never get stories yeah. about badass older women in comics like yeah she yeah. has wrinkles and she's kicking butt it's fantastic mm -hmm. yep i totally yeah. agree i just you know that again part of the one last heist is getting the old gang back together and like the way that yeah. shane does that when selena has to recruit a killer croc and the riddler you know and the whole riddler story like they i like that shane never like really gives you all the details he's able to hint at you know something where like they're catwoman and uh the riddler are, are catching up over dinner over drinks and you know they're kind of like teasing each other a little bit you get snippets of the conversation and like so he's like well what about when you were wearing that like that unitard and holding the cane and you get like one panel of like the, where they're the doing jim the jim carrey, carrey like pose <laughs> and he says well i was doing a lot of cocaine at the time i was like well yeah that makes so much sense like it's actually like how blunt yeah, that is, you know, and but you get the story, the arc where he kind of hints as like, I've cleaned up my act. I'm a better person now. Yeah. So it's again, not just the villains didn't stay who they were. They changed over time, you know, yeah. and it's like to see how they changed. That was interesting. So I, again, I do think the Killer Croc stuff really surprised me how much I enjoyed that. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. He, he has that old man, what is that called? Like a page boy hat on? Speaking of like the just oh, fantastic yeah, yeah. fashion, it just sells it so <laughs> well. Because how do you make Killer Croc look like an old man? But it's the outfit. Mm -hmm. It's so perfect. Yeah. It's, <laughs> well, it's, it's like it's paired like he's wearing that 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 newsy hat and then he's also yeah. like wearing like a jersey he looks like a street tough right like out of like a british like drama or something like that like a guy that who's been at this bar for 40 years and he's been the same guy since he was 22 years old yep. and like he's aged but like because he, he put on some weight but he's still that guy but he's clearly like an older man like it's mm -hmm. i i understand what you're getting at because like that hat could be worn by a younger person but the way that it sits with croc it's like no no he's uh -huh. just an old guy at this bar <laughs> it's so good <laughs> 
Yeah, and that I mean that makes the the sacrifice that Killer Croc makes later in the story hit so much harder. It's like you've kind of seen a mm-hmm. character that for me, like as much as I love Batman and all the 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 Rogues Gallery, uh, he's kind of just kind of been there. Like I don't have you yeah. know, an opinion about Killer Croc really, but mm-hmm, this story mm-hmm. was really great. But if you're asking my favorite moment, and I, I'm very curious to hear your thoughts, both your thoughts on this, because as a deep DC fan, there are a lot of like cool little like Easter eggs and call outs. And I always wonder if that stuff is annoying to people that don't know it or if they didn't notice it. But uh, one of the deepest cuts is toward the end of the story where uh, Selena recruits Jason Blood, who, of course, is Etrigan the Demon, who is like a kind of like a deep cut C-list sure. DC character. Um, so you get some magic involved with the demon. And then there's a little showdown between the demon and Clary and the Witch Boy, who's even deeper cut. I mean, that's from <laughs> I mean, you're talking some Jack Kirby, early 70s DC deep cut characters. Uh-huh. And for me, that's the shit I love. I'm like, I can't believe reading a Batman comic. And my favorite moment is seeing the demon and Clarion fight. Um <laughs> So I wonder if 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 either of you had those sort of like moments like, OK, I don't know if about DC. I'm not sure what this is. Or was it distracting at all? Well, I, I have a bit about this, but Kate, I really want to hear your thoughts because you you called yourself out in our notes as like not really a DC person. So I'm like not, what, were, yeah. what was going through your mind as you saw that? So I got to say, I have I am not a DC person. And on the rare occasion I read DC, I'm not a Batman person. Um, so <laughs> well. I think like. The last Batman book I read was when Tom King's volume one Batman story came out. And okay. so that was what, 2017, I think. So maybe, yeah, it's been a minute. Um, and I found this really easy to follow. I am positive that I missed lots of Easter eggs, um, sure. but that is okay because I, when this got voted on as the book, I was like, this is going to be fine, but not, fun because I just I don't know the background all that stuff and I found it really easy to follow and I understood who everyone was they do a really good job of giving you the context in a way that doesn't feel like they're feeding you the context if you know what I mean Um, but Mm -hmm. but they Mm -hmm. are giving it in often through dialogue of like oh remember that time when and I'm like I don't Mm -hmm. but thanks for telling me (laughs) yeah um (laughs) But did and, you? I guess like when it comes to th- those moments though, with like with Etrigan and which boy or which man, um, which uh, right. th- did you find that like off putting, or were you able to just roll with that at this point? I just rolled with it. Like along. I had never seen either one of those characters before, but they made it clear okay. what they that they had a history between the two and what mm-hmm. they did, <laughs> like what their powers were and stuff. And I think the main thing so far as we talk that I realized that I completely missed was I didn't realize this is an alternate history spinoff. I thought this was part of the main. I'm like, oh, Oh, I didn't know Batman died. When did that happen? Oh, Oh, man. Oh, a lot of change in DC Comics continuity recently. Yeah, gotcha, that, yeah, that what, some something I really like is that again being a deep DC fan, and that's always been a part of DC's history is doing these sort of like alternate futures and alternate histories yeah. of characters to kind of see you know different versions. And again, I love that shit. So you know the idea yeah. that Harvey Dent is mayor, and then we get you know Barbara Gordon, you know is you know running against him like that's all the stuff that they could never do 
maybe in like the mainstream Batman story. Obviously, you couldn't right. kill Batman. So to have mm-hmm. them be able to tell these type of stories and give it to an artist to take it and run with it to the way that Chang does. It's yeah, it's I mean, I think I did pick this as my favorite book of last year or yeah, 2020. Yeah, I think yeah, I, yeah. I ended up making this my favorite of the year. Did you see that there's a beautiful, beautiful special edition hardcover copy version of this, Paul? Not to ruin your yeah, budget, but I, no. And I have the single issues, and but it should that would look nice on my bookshelf. So yeah, I'm gonna have to pick it up at some point. <laughs> uh, you know, you know, Paul. Going back to what you said about this, like this alternate history, like alternate universe thing. You know, like it is a DC classic. The thing that I find most interesting about this story is that none of it feels impossible you know what i mean right. like this mm-hmm. history this or the future that we're presented with in, is catwoman as an as this older woman harvey dent is mayor barbara gordon running for things you know like the Ma- wayne manor just like kind of running on this like it's still got its all security measures and all this stuff like all of that to me seems plausible right like there's something way the about the way that ching tells this story where you're like yeah of course all this makes sense of course there was a giant war of course batman died sacrificing himself finally it happened we get to see this little story like glimpse into this possible future because of a thing that's been hinted at so many times in batman comics for decades finally happened what happens following that path and nothing feels like so bonkers, right? Harvey Dent yeah. becoming mayor kind of makes sense based on who Harvey Dent is as a character, right? Yeah. Sure, we have to deal with the supervillain thing, but I think the way that Chang twists the character's motive to say, like, I had to deal with my past and I'm using it to make Gotham great, you know, like, I really mm-hmm. like that because it doesn't feel like too far of a stretch, right? The, yeah. the the fact that you know super or capes are are, are are outlawed in the city and barbara gordon you know talks openly about how she and harvey used to have these colorful pasts like i love all of that because it means that this is a thing for the people of gotham that is understood it's a thing for like us as the reader to be like it, it like grounds all of these characters in a way that you go i think if someone you know given them fantastical world of of gotham city like if someone tried to come out and tried to own that rather than saying like oh that's all behind me i'm never going to think about it or talk about it instead they're like no i i was batwoman and now i'm mm-hmm. here to try to represent you because i know gotham in a way that maybe people don't like that all clicks for me in the context of like the dc universe um and right. i i love that this how like again the, how grounded this felt in like dc reality in some ways um where like nothing was such a so much of a true like stretch right like if it was the joker who was the head of of, of gotham city and then the scarecrow was running arkham or something like that to me is like yeah. wackadoodle nonsense what if marvel what if bullshit yeah. right mm-hmm. this book feels like the way that i what I've always appreciated about DC alternate timelines is that it feels grounded in its own bullshit. Whereas Marvel <laughs> just goes like, what if, what if X-Men were actually Avengers and the Avengers were naturally occurring beings? It's like, that's stupid, but I guess I'll buy this for nine seventy five a fucking issue um, right. for five issues. Um, so anyways, rant, rant aside, I, I do like how like weirdly grounded this whole book feels like in, in the yeah. bullshit of the DC universe. So, um, I, I feel like Chang gives us details through very nice, subtle context clues and story pieces. And some of it's a little ham-fisted, but like on the whole, sure. it works mm-hmm. really, really well to, to add all of this like groundwork for him to finally get to this final crescendo of the end of the story. Right. And I like that you put it that way because, you know, the idea of like it taking place in the DC universe, it's not isolated just to Gotham where it's like, right. it's a story about, about Gotham. It's about Batman, but it's like, yes, 
the Green Lantern, not the Hal Jordan one, but the you know the older <laughs> one. You know, yeah. he exists, and we found his ring, and then like you know they able to use that. And again, the the being able to like, if I'm going to break into the Batcave, why don't I get a literal demon to help me? It's like stuff like that. It's like when you put <laughs> yeah. yourself in the DC universe, like of course that all that stuff exists, right? You know? Right. So. And also, I like the idea that it's only 10 years into the future. So again, we're not talking this huge leap. So it does feel a yeah. very natural progression. So everything feels very grounded, like you said, and natural and kind of makes sense that that's where everyone ended up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The one thing I will say is the um, Etrigan witch boy thing did catch me a little off guard because I was like, who is this fancy man they're talking to? I genuinely thought they went <laughs> and like talked to Lex Luthor or something at first. But then the guy oh, was okay. speaking all funky. I was like is there like a British Batman? Is this Knight and Squire or something? <laughs> um, and the fact that it's Etrigan, a character I only know because I did a lot of moderation on the comic book subreddit and I had to like help design where how pixelated art was going to show up next to people's names as Flair and Etrigan <laughs> and Witch Boy were both characters people would choose very often. And I had wow. no idea who the hell they were. Um, but now I know I have a little bit more context. Uh, but that's the only other time I'd heard of those names. But I was like, Etrigan is such a cool name. Why is this a character I don't know about? And then I never looked any further into it. So uh, I'm that's glad good. this book introduced me to that. I think way back when I first read it. <laughs> Well, yeah, if you want to if you want to dig deep, go to get that original Demon series that Kirby did in mm. the I think 71. That's some wild comics. So, gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, so one of the thing I did want to mention about this book that I appreciated was I like that if if you're one of those Batman readers who's like, how am I supposed to read a Batman book about Batman characters without Batman in it? Um, we did get some <laughs> Batman uh, in in the form of, of classic flashbacks, which is something that um, I liked in this book. I liked less in I like less in other Batman books that do this. Okay. For some reason, like yeah. Chang's flashbacks, I think they feel a little jarring, but they are pretty well done. Um, and they do give you that little bits of like, what was this giant war that happened? And we can finally get Chang drawing Batman and Joker and all this other stuff. And I, I love the way that he depicts these characters. It's not too far fledged from like the norm. Batman hasn't evolved into this other weirdly thing. He's just your standard Batman and Joker is just your standard Joker. Um, <laughs> and so it, again, this this to me adds all this plausibility and understandability to how this storyline could have progressed um, because things don't feel so far fledged from what I think is like standard concept continuity i think at the time when this came out um but i, I like those flashbacks i like the way that we see some of the other characters chang gets like a couple moments to write a robin he gets a couple moments to write the joker you know in the big reveal at the end where we see why was joker doing all this you know i really liked how that all played out and it all happens in in this very nice perfectly timed you know set of flashbacks and stuff because i think what we could have gotten which would have been very dissatisfying is like a whole issue that's just all flashback right yeah, um and right. instead like we get these nice piecemeal things and maybe that's that that thing is that i suggested is very very uncommon but i feel like some books do that and it never pays off as well as having you know contextual flash flashbacks like this so i did like that we got a little batman and we got a little bit of characters that i think people would have loved to have seen chang um, write and draw, um, you know, like the Robins and mm -hmm. stuff before they were, they all died. Um, yeah, I don't know if, if you guys like that or not. Or I guess, what were your thoughts about the flashbacks? How about that? I found them helpful for understanding what was going on. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, the mystery of like, what is this war that happened, right? Um, you know, <laughs> I think, I, I think funny enough, I had just read like the War of Jokes and Riddles. So I felt like this was kind okay. of like a nice little sidestep in like a different direction for that. Um, but anyways, <laughs> go ahead, Paul. Yeah, I think it was. I mean, it's essential to, for this type of story. If you're jumping in 10 years in the future and they keep referencing like 
what happened. They kind of have to show it. But again, I like the restraint that Chang has of just saying like, I'll give you just enough detail, you know, you know, and you, Mm -hmm. again, the moments you get with Batman are brief, but they're in character that feels like Batman would do that. Batman would sacrifice himself for the city. And I think that's what the core of the story is, is what, how Selena Kyle and Harvey Dent both interpret Batman's sacrifice for Gotham and what that means to them. It's more their story, even though it's a Batman story, quote unquote, or a Catwoman story. Like totally, that to me is when I went back and reread it, I really understood that better. It's like, of course, these two would come head to head because they both have a personal connection to Batman, you know, Mm -hmm. deeper than other villains or the characters do. And, you know, Dent, um, sees that sacrifice and says, well, I'm going to continue Batman's legacy, but he understands Batman's legacy is using fear and intimidation to control Gotham. Whereas Selena Kyle says, no, I knew Bruce Wayne. I knew Batman. He loved Gotham. That's not the approach we need. So the fact right. that it's set in a police state, you know, when you see these like heavily armored, you know, uh, security guards, police officers that look like, you know, modified Batman, it's like, yeah. that is not what Batman's legacy is. So the fact right. that the story revolves around that as a deep Batman fan, that's what makes it so engaging for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I really appreciated the bit about when they mentioned that Batman's money made way more of a difference to Gotham in cleaning up crime mm-hmm. than his fighting crime <laughs> physically <laughs> ever did. I'm like, thank you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, that's the point that Barbara makes, right? Yeah. And then Selena mm-hmm. Kyle's like, yeah, but but you've turned Gotham into a police state. You gave all yeah, that money true. to the police. There's other ways yeah. to do it. Like, yeah, there's right. always the critique, but it's like we know from real world situations that any money like a lot of governments get, instead of going to people who need it, end up going to police. So right. I liked that as a social commentary, especially yeah. in light of, you know, the past few years. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I think it's funny because I think Chang gets to eat or have his cake and eat it too, right? He gets to make the <laughs> argument um, that I think everybody wants to make. Like, it's, I feel like at this point it is it is said in, in so many other stories too. Um, but oh, okay. and then he also gets to tell like, it, it, there's nothing wrong with that, right? Like, I think like you're, you're totally right because that is like the argument that I think everyone can and should be making because it does make sense. Um, but he also gets to tell a cool Batman story. He also gets to tell a really cool Catwoman story uh, despite <laughs> all, you know, that argument being made and having happened. Um, because, so I don't know, it, it makes sense. Uh, it makes it for you know a fun a fun bit uh in the story um should just be a batman but, book and the whole series is just him funding infrastructure projects and like public housing <laughs> and jobs training programs and right. free health care but it's like a, <laughs> a of dummies 101 book where it's like how to be a good billionaire you know it's yeah like, <laughs> Um, and then we just mail this to to all the shitty humans out there. But uh, yeah. beyond that, uh, I did want to talk about some other stuff. Um, what did you, what were your guys' thoughts on on Poison Ivy in this book? Because I love Poison Ivy. I love the way that she's introduced in this book. Like she's just this big, lovable character um, who right away just kind of brightens Selena's mood, which is really cool. But it did mm-hmm. seem like every time there was a problem, it's like, don't worry, Plants got it. Plants fix it. Plants will fix it. <laughs> I don't know. What did you guys think of, of Poison Ivy in this book? I love that they didn't make her a twig, um, that she (laughs) is just like a normal size woman and that they, I don't know if she is uh, gay in other books, but I appreciated that in this one. Mm And well, yes, she is now that, thanks to the woke mob. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Cut that, Dander. Cut that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah, I, 
she she kept reminding me maybe because I just watched it like 30 times on repeat in December of the Jolly Green Giant uh, Muppet like Christmas mm. Day spirit <laughs> of like oh, she's whoa, just like yeah. so, so joyful funny. and yeah. full of ivy and yes yeah. she conveniently saves the day in the same way that Witch Boy con- conveniently gets him out of demon form they're like what are we gonna do to get our our friend back and then he's like oh, yeah, yeah, I yeah. have arrived. <laughs> But it's a four-issue book. What do you man. want, Mike? What do you want? No, no. I, listen, no, no, no. I just, I thought it was funny that, like, there are all these these obstacles. And at no point does Selena really ask Ivy to do these things for her. Um, yeah. And that's this isn't me, like, critiquing the book. I just think it's interesting the way that it's done, where, like, Poison Ivy, like, kind of steps in. It's like, I can probably fix, like, all of this shit. Which, to me, is, like, the... Kind of like the the way that Poison Ivy, I think, has been portrayed, at least in the media that I've I've consumed recently, where like whenever she shows up, she's like kind of got everything on lock. Like the fact that mm-hmm. every time Poison Ivy time able to just do everything um, is is a really interesting thing. But she chooses not to unless she has to, uh, which I, I kind of right. think speaks to her like villainous nature and that like, yeah, she could fix all these problems and she she just hasn't. But in this book, you know, she's. Mm-hmm doing all of this positive and like good work on the backs of like uh you know using her powers to grow coffee for people that funds everything um and then Mm -hmm. on top of that she goes and she helps selena and she kind of helps her solve her problems and stuff and like but at no point does selena look to poison ivy and say i need you to do all this for me right um i i don't know i just think it's an interesting thing i'm not really sure if there's a point to be made there i just found it interesting (laughs) well it's like you know the the idea of poison ivy instead of being portrayed as the sort of villain it's like you know, she is, she is Gaia, you know, she's part of the earth. Like she's yeah. basically right. like this sort of like elemental in a way of like, and being nourishing and like growth and like I, the mm-hmm. way that that's sort of implied, even in the way that she's drawn is just kind of, a, that's, I think a really interesting take on the character. One that I did not yeah. expect when I started the book. Yeah. Yeah. There's like, we've, we've said, you know, there's been some pretty cool takes on these characters that have like aged up, right? Like Selena, yeah you know looks like an older woman and she she acts like an older woman she's got knee problems like an older woman um and like th- that like feels it feels so nice like kate said earlier like to have a character or have a story about a character like this but then we also see how these other characters grew up right we see how the riddler grew up we see how and i say grew up right. in like a weird way but like how they've they've aged um like poison ivy becomes this like paul said like more motherly like druidic figure um whereas you know the riddler has just kind of become like a guy he's like i just I gotta do right by my daughter like that's it like mm-hmm. i don't know i i mm-hmm. like these these evolved portrayals of these characters um but the fact that they can still come back and you know get back to doing the supervillain business and be corny and make these corny jokes like there was a moment near the end where <laughs> like riddler and, and ivy are just kind of like making bits about oh there should be a robin here <laughs> you know like right. um, yep. i don't know i found that to be all really really charming again like, this is this is why i think this book works right try to try to wrap things up here unless you guys have some other points to make but like this is why I think this book works. It, it gets to do all the things that make DC Comics great while also telling a story about like older adults and how they cope with the changing world around them um, and how even, you know, even when they try to bring back some of their older stuff, it can work, but it doesn't always work and they can adapt. It's almost like a very optimistic look at the way that people grow um, as the world changes around them, that they, they can still be the best at what they are, even if the world has changed the game in, in what they used to do. So um, I kind of mm-hmm. like the, the way that this book kind of looks at all of that. I like that they made Catwoman not grow into a maternal person that 
would be kind of unbelievable, right? But like totally, that's so often totally. what you get when you do get older women in comics. They're always mm-hmm. the maternal type and training the next and being that kind of thing. And she's not at all. She explicitly mm-hmm. isn't. Like they show her being asked and trying to help. And she's just like, yeah, that's not me. And right. um, but the thing I wanted to hit on before we closed was like, what do we think this whole pool meant? Like what it what is Chang trying to say with that? Like, cause to me, it as like a non-DC person, it kind of came off like he was saying, like, Batman had like no life other than fighting crime. He, like on his deathbed, what he wanted mm-hmm. to do was fight more villains mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Right. had no mm-hmm. other thought than that. And kind of putting putting that in front of Catwoman as she's trying to forge her new life now that she's out of prison and being like, do you want this? Is this what you, this, this you? <laughs> like, look, look in the mirror, this yeah, you? Yeah. <laughs> and mm-hmm. um, her kind of looking at that and being like, I don't know, I have all these like people I've reconnected with and that I care about and maybe I don't want this. But then that ending where she gets asked by uh, Barbara Gordon to, you know be be a crook for her um, and she mm-hmm. says yes like i don't know i don't know what we're taking from this what do you guys think you know yeah it's i think you can read that ending in a couple of different ways um because we don't get a definitive answer from selena mm-hmm. really saying like I, I will do that you know what i mean um right but we also right before that get a scene where it appears as though she's basically whether explicitly trained her or not kind of passed on the Catwoman gimmick to the Riddler's daughter, like she's running around with like a cat mask on, you know, like, so it's like the idea is the future of Gotham belongs to the people, not to the idea of Batman in a way. That's kind of how Mm -hmm. I read that. And again, like I hinted at earlier, this idea that the dueling legacies that of Batman that we get here, it's like, you know, Batman having a basically a Lazarus pit or the Orpheus pit in the, in the Batcave, he can come back as a guy can come back. I can continue my mission. And like, it's almost like Selena, almost like letting Bruce rest. You know what I mean? Just saying like, yeah. no, we have it. You know, and I think that's always been something that I've really liked. I love any Batman story that hints at the idea that Batman's never fought alone. He's always had Alfred. He's always had a Robin. He's always had, you know, Jim Gordon. He's never done this yeah. alone. So now we get a point where he's gone. Those people that he inspired are carrying on his legacy in the positive way, you know, after, you know, uh, mm-hmm. Two faces arrested for, you know, at the end of the story. So, you know, as someone who thinks a lot about the idea of Batman, what it means, I think Chang kind of really nails it there. It's like it becomes less about fear and control and becomes more about hope in the future and what Gotham can be. So I think that's how I read the ending. At the end, okay. the very last page, when Selena Kyle and, um, Barbara Gordon are looking at the skyline and early in the story, Selena had mentioned all the, how she hates all the new architecture. She's Mm. looking at the skyline, all the buildings are lit up and she's like, Oh, they look like jewels. And it's like, she is willing to accept the future of Gotham. She's let the past go. So that's how I read it. Oh, I read that as they look like targets to me as a jewel. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's, it's interesting because I, I saw the, the Orpheus pit as Selena saying that i don't need batman to do this right when she when she turns away from it i i think she also kind of it, this is also her going like oh i was really in love with a simple man like in 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 a lot of ways right because yeah she 
he can't he couldn't give up the fight right and that is right. to her i think the most depressing thing that like he didn't have some master plan some other thing whatever his plan was just bring me back and i'll do it which is like the most selfish thing right he doesn't trust yeah. anybody to actually complete sure what he wanted to do right um and i think that was her saying like i'm not gonna honor this i obviously she couldn't but i think like she at that point saying like no i we've got this we don't need batman to do what batman wanted to do you know and right. then you know everything mm -hmm. else paul said I, I completely agree with as well so um i thought that was an, an interesting thing i thought it was like an absurd thing that like he brought alfred back and didn't take away from like this <laughs> extreme heartbreak that like yeah. oh no no but i can use this it's like god you're fucking heartless dude <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. but uh yeah it, it, so it was interesting you know interesting uh ending i i like the your paul your interpretation of it i think is is kind of the same feeling that i got of her saying like oh no i like the way that this looks now i like that this <laughs> this okay. city is now the, a shining thing to me um that i can i can covet right i can covet the, right. what this city has become um so uh yeah the, I, I think the you know i think paul you kind of nailed it on the head there but Kate, i guess was your interpretation was she was like i'm robbing all these fuckers <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> okay. Why would they call them jewels if it wasn't because of that? Oh. <laughs> right, 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 right. No, I get you. I get you. I think that's a, that's a, sure. that's a good read on it as well. I, who knows? Maybe Cat Catwoman did go on. Um, but yeah, I think the the last thing I'll say here is, um, did you guys get a chance to look at the cover gallery at the back of this book? Because I, I read the like digital edition of the collection, um, which yeah. came with all these beautiful covers. Um, like there's one of of Killer Croc and the gang playing video games. Um, that is just <laughs> super fun. Um, and there's a beautiful one of, of the aged uh, Poison Ivy. That's very nice. A wonderful color work. I mean, like, I don't know. This book This book is just fantastic. It's so gorgeous. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I don't know. It's, it's really fun. And Paul, I'm guessing if you bought the single issues, you've probably got a lot of those covers already yourself. I just always got the standard Cliff Chang covers. Uh, okay. Just the newsstand okay. covers. I'm not, yeah. I'm not a variant cover person. Uh, which is mm -hmm. maybe why I need to buy the hardcover so I can get yeah, yeah, have yeah. You, know, uh, you know copies of them. Um, but I did appreciate. It. So I also just I didn't pull out the single issues. I ended up reading it digitally as well. And we got yeah. the nice little. In addition to the covers, we got the sort of uh, character design sketches that Chang did, which again reminded me of just how good he is at drawing clothes and fashion on people because it looks know. like you're you know it's like watching Project Runway. It's like I'm going to do this. It's like oh yeah, that's that's how clothes look. That's how fabrics work yeah. when they move and it's just amazing yeah absolutely yeah that that catwoman leotard with the or the the like onesie that she wears with the sweatshirt is like one of the coolest yeah. looks ever Great. like what a cool superhero <laughs> figure thing with like the or she there's also a variant with the cloak that i'm like that's so cool anyway sorry yeah. kate what were you saying I, okay but and then he also has the commentary on her past outfits when people are talking about the posters they had of her and she's like oh judging right. them mm -hmm. based on that <laughs> So good. Um, but no, I read the single digital issues off the DC app and okay. Okay. Uh, it did not have those. Uh, okay. Okay. We'll have to, we'll have to find those, those other pages and show them off to you. But yeah. Um, well, yeah, I think, I think to wrap things up, um, this is an awesome pick. I will say like, yeah. I'm really glad to have gone back and revisited yeah. this book because like, I really not only it. does this book rule, it's like, it's a reminder that there's some really, really good standalone DC graphic novels that I think like like Kate you were saying like you're not fully plugged into the DC universe really all you got to know is like 
who's Batman? Who's Catwoman? Who's the Joker? Mm-hmm. Who's two Fa- like things that I think are pretty common knowledge if you've yeah. been in comic books at least a little bit. And you can have a mm-hmm. really, really, really good time with this book. Um, so I really want to shout out all the folks on Goodreads for picking this book because they really, really ruled. And um, I'm excited um, that, that that you folks came together and finished our reading challenge. So thanks for that. Um, any 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 last comments from you guys? I guess before I really get into my thing, Kate. Any last comments from you? No. Okay. Okay. How about you, Paul? Uh, I know I already mentioned the Etrigan and Clarion Witch Boy fight is my favorite moment, but honestly, there's a like a three panel little sequence when the you find out why they had to bring Etrigan is because Bruce had hired Zatanna to cast a spell <laughs> on the Batcave so no one could break in, and of course, yeah. once Etrigan says "Open Sesame" backwards, you get a brief glimpse of Zatanna being like, "Day is like, oh, what happened?" Like she's on stage performing in her magic show. <laughs> And she's like, she makes a joke like, oh, I had too many martinis for the show. It's like, oh, no, someone undid her magic. And it's like a little yeah. moment like that as a deep DC, like especially DC magic characters fan. Mm. I loved it so much. So, yeah, again, I think what works is the attention to detail and also a book that appeals to people that don't know that stuff. It's kind of like the yeah. perfect medium for all that stuff. For it's So Absolutely. that's why, again, why I, I praise this book. See, Paul, you're so close to getting in all this high fantasy bullshit. We just got to find a way. <laughs> I'm true. working on it. That's my 2024 okay. goal. Um, well, look, to wrap up the show here, uh, I want to say uh, check us out on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Discord. We got all the places linked in our show notes. Make sure to check that out. Please, please, please fill out the IRCB listener survey. We really appreciate your feedback. Really want to know what you think of the show, what we can do, what you love, what you don't love, um, how we can improve. As always, we really, really appreciate it. And I really want to give as many $25 gift cards to legitimate human beings as I can. Um, you can follow us on Patreon at patreon.com slash IRCB podcast to get access to the IRCB movie club, the book versus book series saga of saga. We're doing a new volume of that because the newest volume just came out. Um, we've got so many other cool things on there. Better Batmobile, as Paul mentioned earlier. Next week's show, it's going to be me and Zach with a special guest, Ari Gross, talking comics and their newest Kickstarter, Wardens number one. Infinity Shred is the best band of the universe. Uh, they do all of our music and they just had a new EP come out. I got the vinyl sitting here on my chair behind me. Um, it's a beautiful re rendition of some of their older tracks that went back to just like re-record them and they sound fantastic if you haven't listened to them go check them out on spotify or Bandcamp, um wherever you like to listen to music xander had a feeling that you'd be here this late in the credits he's got a cup of tea ready just for you i want to say thank you to paul and kate for this episode thank you to brian for proof listening if you're on discord and you're listening live thank you you're a fantastic human being if you got this far in the episode we love you and we can't appreciate you enough but until next time comics are good and so are you